Hi there, listener, and welcome to a new series of podcasts that we're going to be doing about equipment for the 2023-24 season. I am delighted to be joined by my guest today, an expert on all things equipment, uh, Al Morgan. Uh, regular listeners will know him well. He writes for Skeeker Info, Full Line, The Telegraph. He's our equipment expert there. Hi, Al. How are you? Ian, I am great, thank you. And this ski season's coming, snow's falling. Oh, so exciting. Yeah, it is. I mean, the snow is good. It's pretty cold today uh, as well. So I know lots of people's thoughts are turning to the winter. A few resorts have already uh, opened up. The plan is with these podcasts, I think we're in a series of about five of them. We're going to start off looking at skis. And then in later episodes, we're going to look at uh, ski boots, jackets, helmets, goggles, gloves, socks, all those sort of things that are important to people. But I wanted to start off by a big shout out and thanks to uh, Ellis Brigham, who essentially have made the recording of this uh, possible. Ellis Brigham are the winter sports specialists. I have 16 shops around the UK where you can find all the kit you need for this season, uh, or you can just go to their website at ellis-brigham.com and you can buy online now. So Al, this episode, we're going to look at skis. Now, I don't want to have too much uh, jargon, you know, in these uh, episodes. I don't want to put listeners off. It, the idea is it's meant to be useful for people. But in terms of skis, they do come in different categories. So let's tackle a couple of things now. You know, you can have peace skis uh, and touring skis. They're kind of obvious what they're for. But what about big mountain, free ride? How are they different? And when would you be thinking about buying those categories? Oh, the old jargon conundrum. Isn't it mad? All these brands have these different terms and it just gets so confusing. I mean, just stepping back to Peace, Peace is super interesting. Peace has traditionally been kind of race skis or detuned race skis and they've been quite, you've, you've really got generally to get the most out of them, especially upper level, good technique. Whereas they are bringing on back piece skiing it is fantastic we've seen this with things like the lying blade it's been out for a while now the black crows myra's core but this year salomon just seems to have found their flow again and the addict pro that they've come up with is just phenomenal i will talk about that in a bit but it's just brilliant to see this element coming back to peace skiing but yeah how do you work out what ski to get well if you're looking at big mountain if you're looking at freeride it can be incredibly confusing often you think okay it's about width if we look at Black Rose and we look at their big mountain line, I mean, they go from 100 mil underfoot for their Solus up to, I think it's 122 for the Nocta. That's big mountain. And then you step over to somebody like Faction. Now, they've got the La Machine 5, the Max. That's 126 underfoot. They call that free ride. Go to Dina Star. Their M-Pro free ride range goes from something like 83 up to 99 or 108 for the T model. So it does get very confusing. So, yeah, as a regular skier, let's say I've never had any skis before and I'm looking to to buy them now. Is it really the, the guideline there as to whether it's like a P-ski or big mountain or free ride? The starting point really is how wide that ski is under my foot. That is a really good place to start in my experience. So with a P-ski, you might be looking at, say, 65, 66 millimetres underfoot. This is the width directly under your boot when you step on the ski. And it, but there's a lot of slightly wider skis, so maybe up to 70s, upper 70s. There are that mid 60s, mid 70s is perfect for peace. When you go above that, up to maybe 1992 mil, then that's where we look at all mountain. And then 
when we go up from that, then that's when we start to get into free ride and big mountain. The difference in free ride and big mountain, to keep it nice and simple, is typically that big mountain skis can be way stiffer. If you're going to go and charge huge Alaskan spines, big mountain skiing, that's a stiff ski. I am not that skier. I ski big mountain skis. I love them, but I just don't have the ability. <laughs> but in the UK especially, piste or mountain free ride are the, are the, are the big categories. All mountain is really hard to define because it hugely crosses over. If you look at Volkel, for example, so a dedicated P-Ski like the Deacon Master, uh, Deacon Master, they do that, but the Deacon 72, which I love, but that is really a dedicated P-Ski. It's just got a bit of rocker front and back, but that sits in their all mountain line. So it is a little bit confusing between brands. So what I would do is look at where you want to ski. So the terrain and the location, you know, if you're going to ski in the Tyrol of Austria, it might be slightly different gradient rolling terrain compared to some of the more aggressive terrain that you might get in somewhere like Fubia. The snow that you want to ski, if you're going to ski hard snow, a narrow ski is much better. If you're going to ski lots of soft snow, then a wider ski with more rockers to lift through the front and back of the ski will help to make that easier. So you can start with width. If you are going to do one thing, if you're going to focus on one ski, I would encourage people to look narrower rather than looking wider. You will have a much better time most of the time being on a narrower ski than being on something that's wide and then really struggling to get grip and pitches when the conditions are firmer. And can I just cover a couple of things? And I, I said I didn't want to get too much into the uh, jargon, but the width is pretty easy to understand. Yeah. You mentioned the rocker just then. Like, you know, can you explain yeah. in simple terms what a rocker Absolute, is? Yeah, hopefully. There are two main terms. So we get early rise and rocker. It is the same thing. So if you imagine a ski, typically, traditionally, a ski, you put it flat on the floor, a nice, hard, flat, smooth floor. You will see there's a gap under the binding where the ski's lifted off, so that makes it kind of springy. That's called camber. And then at the tip and tail, that's when it will touch the floor. So when you stand on a ski on snow, that middle bit goes down and the tips lift up. And that's how we form the turn shape. But brands can help with that. So they build a little bit of more lift into the front and the back. Not just the shovel, but you imagine if you come 10 centimetres back from the tip or 15 centimetres, you lie the ski in the floor, you'll see that slightly off the ground. And that is what we call rocker. No, that was brilliantly explained. Thank you. I think I probably understand something that I never I never quite uh, got before. Um, what about a side cut? Is that relevant at all? I remember talking to Bodie Miller in, uh, when I interviewed him about his new peak skis. You know, he he's less concerned about what side cut means. But uh, do you have uh, like a view on that? How important is it to someone if they're thinking about buying skis? I love that Bodie episode. And um, I am with him and I'll explain why. So side cut, we talk about the width of the tip. It might be, let's say, 128 millimetres width underfoot or in the waist and that may be 66 maybe 108 and then a width in the tail so the tip and tail are normally wider than the middle that gives us an idea of things like float turn shape grip etc but there's lots more going on people also talk about side cut radius or turn radius and these things are are, are, are linked so this is when a utility ski on its edge it's the shape it will naturally form in the snow, that curve, that arc. And the reason why I always kind of think to take it with a pinch of salt. So a classic example for me is Head have a very, very popular ski called the Super Shape Magnum. It's amazing. 
and it's a piece and one year they changed the widths at the tip, waist, and tail. So the proportion was different. The relative difference between how wide it was in the shovel and the tail compared to the middle was different in these two years. And for the same length ski, they quoted the same turn radius. Now, mathematically, <laughs> that's not possible. So always take these things with a pinch of salt. And I'd go a, a step further than that as well. When you're looking at ski length, do not fixate too much on the length. Oh, it needs to be 178. It needs to be 175 because brands measure their lengths in different ways. So if we look at head and K2, for example, and you pick a 178 ski, stand them up next to each other, they will be different lengths. How can that be possible? How can you well, say Well, do you measure? Do you put the ski against the wall, mark the top like you do with your kids when they're growing, and then measure that in a straight line? <laughs> Do you run the tape measure on on the top sheet of the ski, but follow the all the contours of the ski with the tape? That's still a valid way to measure it. If you did that, but you've got a tape measure and measures the underside of the ski, that would be a longer distance again. Yeah. So it depends how they calculate length. All of these <laughs> right. things give you a guide. Take them with a pinch of salt. You know, if you were trying again, someone maybe who hasn't bought a ski before, what would you be saying to them about the the, the length of the ski uh, that they want to be getting? This is where people get quite confused. And I think a lot of it is an historic issue. So when we had old, what we call pencil skis, so they did not have much <laughs> side cut, they were straight. If you're going to ski soft snow, you would need a longer ski to get more float. If you're skiing hard snow, you could ski a shorter ski. Now, with modern skis, we've got a massive variety in widths, and that is what essentially what gives us the float. There's construction and shading and all of that, yes, but that width gives us the float. So I can ski a 175 ski on piste, and then I can jump onto a 175 powder ski because it's two centimeters wider for the whole length and get way more float off piste. I don't need to go an extra 15, 20 centimeters in length. So if you're just getting into this, a really good starting point is to look between really chin and top of head, but most people are probably looking around nose to, to forehead level for a ski. That is a safe bet. It comes down to weight and skiing aggression because the ski can't see how tall you are. It can only feel how much pressure and energy you're putting through it. That, that sounds like a really good uh, uh, guideline. So we're going to talk about, you know, different skis as well. But I was interested, I mean, regular listeners will know I'm very interested in sustainability. And um, so much of the innovation we're seeing in skis is in that area of sustainability. And we're going to cover this in, in all of these equipment uh, episodes. But looking specifically uh, at skis, uh, Al, what are the, the big changes and trends we're seeing this season? Isn't it interesting? And I know you and I have had, had various conversations, but it's really interesting to see what is happening this season specifically because it's taken two, five, ten years for the brands to be able to come up with these solutions so we've already seen things like recycled materials being used in the edge of the ski that metal edge instead of just using pure virgin metal we can use repurpose you know um, recycled metal in there top sheets of skis which have typically been made of, uh, uh, of, of plastics we're seeing more and more recycled material being used there but really it's what's happening inside the ski that's exceptionally exciting especially when we, we, we look at brands that have been using far more sustainable sources for their wood cores. The majority of, of skis, especially performance skis inside, use a lot of wood. Um, but even the coming up with clever solutions. So Dina Star has a new M cross range of skis. 
they have they've had a hybrid core for a while where they mix wood and synthetic polyurethane material but they use a hybrid core 2.0 they love these names don't they so what they do they use wood instead of just running it say in two different planes because you do not just get a plank of wood in a ski because that would be it would be different for every model every one they produce so what they do they cut this the wood into strips very thin strips and, and then glue that together so with the dina star hybrid they've been able to glue the wood so that the fibers running in it can run in three different orientations and this can give you enhanced performance and that means you don't have to put as many of the environmentally damaging or or, or products that produce more co2 in there such as resin and fiberglass but there's loads more going on you've said before the most sustainable item of uh, ski equipment that you would have is the one that you've already got yeah and a lot of those developments are designed about reducing emissions, but they're also designed to try and make the product last longer as well. Is that right? Well, one of the things I think a lot of people worry about is cost. So you're making something more sustainable, so it's going to cost more. So we we see a little bit of that, but actually not nearly as much as I thought we would. But it had a really interesting interview I was doing with a chap called David Bouvier from Rodignol. They've been on this 10-year journey to, to develop a way more recyclable ski that uses way more recycled materials and we can talk about that in a little little bit one of the things he kept coming back to was that point that you raised the most sustainable product is the one you already own yeah and you mentioned rosinol i can't recall what episode it it was i don't need to stick in a link into the show notes because you're going to tell us about it now but you did mention the rosinol essential ski essentially essentially nice. the most sustainable uh ski uh ever produced you know w- w- what l- has led you to that uh conclusion so a typical ski a traditionally manufactured ski their research and is their research i have I, I i i wasn't involved in that project i only go with what we get told but it's kind of similar to what i've heard from other brands around eight percent of a traditionally manufactured ski can be recycled you know, it's got lots of different materials in there, lots of different, you know, it's got different glues. How do you separate it? How can you then recycle it? 8%. Rosignol's quoted figure for the essential ski is that it's 77% recyclable. That's a staggering difference. I am going to caveat that. How do we recycle these products? How yeah, do we it was get- exactly, exactly the question that came to my mind. Like, you've got a ski and you're thinking, well, if I've got a bottle or a can, I can put it in my recycle bin yeah. outside. How do I recycle my ski? Yeah, so Rosignol aren't the only pe- people to be doing this. Now, they have a, a, a facility at their factory in France where they can recycle skis. And on each essential ski, you can, there's information how the person that buys the ski can register with that system and work out how to get it back to Rosignol, get it recycled in the future. But that's quite a long way off. You know, if these skis are lasting 10, 20 years, lots of people have skis that are older than that, but certainly five years, that's a little way off. I have seen lots of different initiatives. So people are repurposing shipping containers to build recycling plants for skis. Other brands, if we look at the the Technica group, so Technica, Blizzard, Nordic, all these these brands together, they've done loads in this space as well in terms of what we're doing with recycling products. So it is moving along. It's not there yet, but we're certainly making big inroads to get there. I mean, that essential ski, so it uses over 34%, I think is the quoted figure, of recycled material. It uses... 
almost a similar figure in biosource, sustainable woods, essentially, in the ski. Um, but what really surprised me, because I want to test this, and I thought, hold on, this is going to be a bit of a noodle, how it skied. And it is it's insane, too strong a word. It is insane that they can build a ski that is made in such a different manner to a traditional ski and ski so phenomenally well. It's odd. You even see the wood core of the ski, which is always protected on skis. They have a plastic sidewall. It has no sidewall. The wood you see in the side of the ski is the core of the ski. It's amazing. And this was one of the major challenges for them was how do they seal that and stop water ingress? So it's a really interesting journey that we're on. And to watch this unfold is pretty exciting. Great. So that's really interesting to hear that so many developments like that going on in relation to sustainability. And I know you mentioned there are different uh, brands that are using uh, sidewall offcuts, bioresin, uh, like Faction have got B Corp uh, certification uh, as well. But let's let's just reiterate how you know about all of these uh, skis, because you you said you tested uh, the uh, Rosinal Essential. Most of these skis were tested uh, by you in La Clusa at uh, the SIGB ski test uh, earlier this year. Is that right? Yeah. So if many people may not know, there is an organization in the, in the UK called the Snow Sports Industries of Great Britain. And it's exactly that. It, it's a body that everybody that works in skiing, certainly to do with product, um, media like myself, uh, tested, etc. We're, we're all part of this organization. There's a trade show in the UK, and then they organize a test out in the mountain. I go out and I test lots of product, and um, uh, and everybody's got a really broad span of product that we can get onto and look at, and the testers have all different backgrounds and abilities, so it's a, a fantastic testing environment for us that way. So what I'd like to do now, then, is just to, to move on to you know skis that we would uh, recommend, you know, the standout skis. And I thought the, the best way of doing this is uh, basically I've already asked you, Al, in advance mm. to see if you could pick out you know products at the kind of the, the top, middle and entry levels, which is what, you know, we're, we're thinking about different people listening to podcasts. You're going to have different requirements, different budgets, etc. There's no point just banging on about the most expensive skis the whole time. We want to look at everything that's available within the range. So given those parameters far away, we've mentioned the Rosinal Essential uh, already. What yeah. else would you would you pick as your standout uh, skis for this winter? When I spoke before, as I mentioned that, you know, if you're going to focus somewhere, you'd focus on narrow skis. So I'm going to cover three of the kind of certainly two narrower, the, your piece models, and then an all-mountain ski as well, and then touring and free ride, because these are really, in the UK, it's really important to this growing. I have to mention the Salamonic Pro. It just blew everybody away this ski is incredible it uses a recycled material in the sidewall it's proper funky bright sidewall i did not know that normal ski manufacturing has a wastage of around 40 percent in making sidewalls it's bonkers so they take all of those extra materials recompress it and there's no difference in the performance of the sidewall and they use it in this they use it in in they have a qsd echo which is a like a lighter version of their 106 they kind of free tourist style ski and they use it in that and, and some other things but this ski it is not a race ski it is the most fun you can have on snow honestly get on it try it it's amazing 66 <laughs> mil underfoot 
it's not horribly expensive. Yes, it's £780, but that comes with the binding. This ski uses technology from their race department. It is not a race ski. I'm going to reiterate that. It uses blade. Yeah. This just makes the ski easier to flex. If you look at the tail, it looks like it's got a swallow tail, like a powder tail. This is actually just the release out the back more easily. Piece performance skis often can keep you locked into a turn. This does not. You can dodge around. It is incredible fun. They also make an addict ski, which is £100 less. It has rocker through the front. Do not mistake the addict for being a cheaper way to get the addict pro. For me, they are different skis. Right. Okay. So Interesting. So pro, even even though they've appended the pro onto the addict, yeah. you, you know, you, you, it's not just a way of differentiating them and saying, "Oh, you no." Know, I mean, this is sixty-six mil underfoot. The, the normal addict is seventy-two. It's got fifteen percent rocket through the shelf. It's quite. It's hundred pounds less. Yes, brilliant. I would always spend hundred pounds more to get this ski. It's so good. So that's the upper end, intermediate through to expert. Brilliant. Right. Again, just, you know, if we're looking at that, if you're going to be spending that much money on a ski and binding together, you know, £100 discounted across the number of holidays that you're going to take it on. It's one of those instances where it's worth paying a, a little bit more to get the right ski. OK, what's your what's your second selection as a piece ski then? Yeah, there are lots of skis you could look at in this in, in this segment. Nordica came up with something called dual core in skis for their ladies skis. So where they take a layer of wood rubber layer in the middle and then layer of wood underneath called dual core so they do a dual core 72 i think actually i was in brigham's the other day and i'm pretty sure this is one of their skis of the year um for four line it was uh, one of our editors choice last season that's brilliant but it is a higher price point they actually make a far more accessible version so this is around 385 pounds it's a bit wider it's the bell 75 so you get wooden synthetic core in there. You've got a little bit of lift through the front. So if you are a just on starting out in your skier journey, maybe you're, you know, maybe you've had a week skiing, you want to get onto something. This is an amazing choice. You get the Nordica build quality, really easy to use. Three hundred eighty-five pounds, including a binding. Okay. Right, 380. So we're talking, you know, half the price of that Solomon uh, Addict Pro that you mentioned. And you're saying better for those who are just getting into uh, skiing, intermediates, uh, etc. Yeah. Uh, the Nordica Bell 75. Sorry, just clarify, is this a, a, a unisex ski? Uh, no, so Bell is the ladies range. And they are phenomenal. They did a massive amount of research on building their ladies' skis. And that's why it's incredible to get the amount of R&D that they've got for this series in something that is such a good price point. And so, therefore, is there an equivalent in their range uh, as a male ski, for example? So if you go onto the men's skis, because these are specific women's skis, then you'd be looking at the Spitfire range or they have a steadfast range as well. So you'd be looking at something in that. And they've got all levels. You can go from lower price point right up to, you know, almost full on race ski. So thinking about the uh, all mountain category, then what what uh, cropped up on your list for that? Oh, I love this category. People focus on this buy an all mountain ski. And often they'd be better off with a, a, a P-ski. And do you go for a fat ski or a narrow ski? Again, I'm going to focus on a lady ski. Yes, there's a, there's a men's equivalent. K2 do a mind bender series. 
which is phenomenal. But people have often focused on the metal versions, the TI, the Dua uh, Mindbender 89TI ones, which is brilliant. Very great, you know, more punchy, quite stiff, great on piece. But I want to focus on the 90C for a few reasons. One, the whole sustainability thing, that their carbon range of mindbenders for this year. So they're using bioresin. They're using eco waxes from a company called Wend on all skis, all snowboards that come out of their factories. The Mindbender 90C is a brilliant, true all-mountain ski. Performs on piste, lift through the front. If you want to get into off-piece skiing, go off the side, maybe go a bit further afield, it is a brilliant option. And I absolutely love it. Yeah, that's a ladies' version. They do a men's version. And again, the men's carbon skis, the Mindbenders, are superb. And this is for you know intermediates who want to kind of move up a level they're improving they want to kind of you know ideally move up to be an advanced gear what price point are we looking at for this then yeah so this is so we call it a flat mount so you imagine a, a ski with no binding plate no binding track that's flat mount where you've got to drill holes and mount the binding so it's 450 pound 455 pounds without a binding so that's worth it. And the obvious next question is, like, how much are bindings? Yeah, so how that piece of string crash, I love it. Um, so it depends what you get. The, the beauty with this kind of ski, it suits intermediates really well. But if you are an advanced or expert ski, you want that lower weight, maybe you want to put a hybrid binding on it. So a hybrid binding allows you to ski downhill like normal, but will allow you to release the heel to walk uphill if you put skins on the bottom of skis. So this kind of ski will allow you to do it. And that those kind of bindings can be a lot more expensive. So you are going to be paying anywhere between, let's say, £120 for binding up to £400 for binding. I mean, it depends exactly what, what, what you get. So. Okay, that's kind of interesting. Depending, you know, what type of binding you're uh, looking for, and I guess that's always going to be uh, the case. Okay, moving on to uh, free ride skis then. What's your pick in this uh, segment? Yeah, so like the Mindbender, this is a new ski for this season. Scott Skis has a pure range of skis. Years ago, they had a ski called the Mission, which was brilliant, very playful, very easy, relatively soft flexing. But they've got a new pure called the Mission 98Ti. They do a men's version and a women's version. It's a slightly higher price. It's £580 without a binding. And this is an amazing ski yes you want to be an advanced level skier really to get the most out of it it's got loads of performance wood core carbon at the top metal under the binding and it's almost a, an all-mountain ski because it's got so much grip on hard snow it's 98 mil underfoot so it's slightly wider and this is where we're talking about don't fixate on a ski category but look at the ski itself the float that you get off it, the lift through the shovel is just brilliant. It punches through variable chopped up snow. It gives excellent float. But then when you're back on firm snow on piste, or there, maybe there's harder snow when you're skiing off piste, it just gives lots of grip. So if you've got fairly decent technique, you know, if you are that, classify yourself as that advanced level skier, this is just phenomenal to see Scott come up with this new ski for this season. What what is it then? I mean, because this this sounds interesting to me. I'm looking at this. You're saying it suits you know ad, advanced uh, uh, level skiers. Yeah, not necessarily say I'm an expert skier, but in that in that category, like going off piece. I like the idea yeah. that though you could uh, it is 
to a certain degree in all mountain uh, ski as well. What is it that Scott have done with uh, with this ski, the Pure Emission, to make it so much better than whatever the previous iteration was? Well, they they have a Pure Free, slightly it's eight mil lighter, eight mil narrower. It's ninety mil underfoot, and that's much softer. That's a brilliant intermediate or mountain ski. This just has more guts. It's got more performance in it, but it's not punishing. So you can ski at slower speeds. And yes, actually, I could form pretty tight turns on this thing. It, it, it was quite incredible. But then you jump off a lump and there'd be something on the other side you may not expect. And it was really stable. It just has this fantastic blend of low speed, high speed, slightly tighter turn, bigger turn, soft snow, ease of use. Then when you open things up and you go a bit faster, it instills confidence. It's just got a really broad fun confident inspiring spectrum well everything you're saying there makes it makes it stand out i particularly like the idea that you were you were just skiing over a lump and you discovered whatever it was on the on the uh, other side that sounds yeah, like there's plenty hidden aren't there so <laughs> yeah yeah Okay, final one then. Um, you've picked out a touring ski for us uh, as well. Um, yeah. What are you? What are you bringing into the uh, into the equation here? Well, I'm, I'm going to talk about a couple, but there's one that I really want to focus on. So often people look at narrow product when they're going dedicated to it. If you're an Austrian and you're going touring, you are going to be on something that's 85 mil underfoot, almost without question. So an Austrian company, Atomic, they they brought out. Backland turn skis. I've had them out for years, but they've got new ones for this year. And they've it's taken them two years, but they've reduced the CO2 emissions in how they make the skis by around 30%. It's amazing. But they've got a new width called an 88. And I don't really like thin turn skis. I prefer 95 and up. This was amazing. And I partly twigged why none of the models that they make in the 88 range, because it's the same for men and women, are 88 underfoot. The narrowest is 88 and a half. They're all wider. So that's probably why I like it so much. But the Glen Plake ski. So people may know of Glen Plake. He's a total legend. I've been fortunate mm. enough to do things with him, meet him, ski with him. He works with a LAN, and the LAN make a brilliant freeride range called Ripstick, very famous. But they do a tour range, so for ski touring. And he developed with them a 104 wide ski. So that's quite wide for a touring ski. But the broad range that this thing delivers, so you can use it amazingly on piece gets wide, it's light, you think it's going to wash out and be terrible, and it just doesn't. And then when you want to go off piece, when you want to go away from where everybody else is, you're never in any doubt that this thing will handle it. And it's still pretty light. I mean, cost wise, so this is interesting. So it's listed as 755 pounds. I was in Alice Brigham, as I mentioned before, and it's 720 with them. So I'm not sure what's going on, but great. Why not? It's a bit of a saving. Um, but yeah, it's less than 1,500 grams in this ski. And, that, and that's pretty long, pretty wide. It performs phenomenally and it has an awesome graphic. Not that that really matters. Well, it wouldn't surprise me if Glen Plate was involved that has an awesome graphic. Sorry, you said it's 720 at Ellis Brigham. Is that with or without a binding? That's with So this, again, is flat mount. This is without a binding because you need to select which touring binding you're going to go on it. So do pair. Don't put something really heavy on this ski. Put a lighter weight, either hybrid or pure touring binding on it. And that's when you're going to get the most out of it. Right. And 
you know, we are saying, right, you know, this is the top end of the market because I think you were saying before that those lightweight touring or hybrid bindings, they're the ones at the top of the price range for, yeah, for bindings right. as well. So yeah. we're saying that this is going to be like a thousand pound uh, package, are we? And you, if you don't have skins for it already, you will get them. But touring product, lighter product is generally more expensive. To get the performance and keep the weight down is really expensive to do because of the carbon. Yeah, well, we've actually, uh, or you have enlightened me on the podcast before, but I think, see if I can even remember the stat. Isn't it something like, um, you know, one kilo on your feet is worth five kilos in your backpack? Is that is that it? That is an amazing memory. That is absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. This was an army research piece, but yeah. So every 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 kilo you save off off your foot is magnified on your back five times. You're absolutely right. If I mean, if you're the sort of person who's listening to this and you're thinking about you know buying a ski touring ski specifically then probably you are going to be looking into those uh weights and just remind me yeah. again you know what that what that elan ripstick uh one is the glen plate model so in the 173 length it's 1470 grams for the quoted weight okay and then you mentioned atomic backlands you know I, I, you may have this in front of you do you know what their weight is i i have the information give me one second i'll find it that yeah, that AEA is a bit lighter because it's narrower, but it's thirteen hundred grams in a mid one seventy length, one seventy six, I think. Okay, price point for the uh, for the backland. Backland's a lot less; it's five hundred pounds. Right. Okay. So strictly weight wise, you know that sounds that sounds great, but there are reasons that you picked out that uh, Elan ripstick, right? A lot of people are getting into touring from alpine skiing, so if you go to a lighter weight product and then try and ski in challenging conditions off piece it's better if you have more experience in that kind of terrain before you start to go narrow in my experience with something that's mid 90s 100 104 it makes it easier when you're getting into that tour style that free tour style scheme and the glen plate is an, an exemplary model of that it's just brilliant right it's interesting isn't it i mean we could probably do a whole episode on this about touring and touring skis because you're saying yeah it's not simply not as straightforward as just like oh i want to get the lightest skis possible oh, it no. depends on your level of skiing and it depends on how much experience you've got skiing in the off-piste as well so so yeah. interesting just you know at this point we're talking about touring skis you mentioned getting skins i mean how much are skins i've always kind of hired them from a shop previously but you're looking at 140 150 200 pounds kind of price point for a set of skins yeah but on the other hand think about all the money you're going to save by not uh having to buy a lift pass because <laughs> yeah you're skidding up all the uh, mountains and uh you never need to have a lift yeah pass i mean you jest but it's true i've done that in quite a few resorts where i haven't used the lift at all well there you go you can easily earn it back well that is really interesting what i'm going to do is i'm going to put a link to all of those different products in the show notes and detail them because i know we've covered quite a lot uh in this episode and it, you know really really interesting and i know you know we, we we've said before we could just talk in so much detail about all of these things and I always find it really interesting uh talking to you so you know we will have um our next episode we're going to look at ski boots. We already have a special episode about ski boots that you were on before. So I think I'll probably refer people to to that, uh, you know, for some of the background. But we will be looking at, you know, your pick for the best product uh, in that. Just to wrap up 
I just would like to remind listeners that this is a special episode of the Steve Podcast, and it's very kindly been made possible by Ellis Brigham. They are winter sports specialists. They have 16 shops around the UK. You can find all the kit that you need there for this winter, or you can go to their website at ellis-brigham.com where you can buy that online now. But uh, uh, otherwise, I'd like to thank you, Al, for all of your research and sharing all of your knowledge with us. Always a pleasure to uh, speak to you. Thank you, Ian. I've really enjoyed today. It's so much fun. Oh, excellent. And uh, otherwise, listener, thank you for joining us. And until next time, goodbye.